Good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? All right? Great. Amazing. I feel so privileged and so honored to be here today to speak with you guys, to let you guys know whatever God has put on my heart is amazing and awesome. And I'm so glad and so thankful that I have the privilege to share what God has put on my heart with the prayer and hope that by the end of our meeting together, by the end of our time together, that it will also be on your heart. But real quick, to all of Christ Fellowship, to every single person who is watching online through our live stream, whether it be through Facebook or through YouTube, I just want to say one thing really, really quick. The countdown, type it in real fast, the countdown has begun. Just as Pastor Carlos mentioned a few minutes ago, we will be together soon. And I cannot wait for that moment to happen. But until then, until that, until that day actually comes, we encourage you, every single person, to share what you see this live stream, to share it with your friends, with your families, with your loved ones, because we want them to see what you are seeing, that God, that Jesus is still active, that he is still moving among his people, that he is still involved in the lives of his creation. And that regardless of how the circumstances may look or appear to be, that Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings, can still be trusted. We are right in the middle of a series called Trusting God. And I know that its trust seems to be kind of a little a little hard sometimes, especially in moments like this, but that's exactly why this series is needed. And if you haven't been with us the past two weeks, when we first kicked off this series, I can't share every good little thing that was said, but I can share a little bit. Dr. D, when she opened up this series, she spoke about trusting God's sovereignty. That no matter how bad something may appear to be, God is in control of that. Yes. God is in control of the bad. That no matter how good something may be, God is also in control of that. He is in control of it all. He sits on his throne and no matter what, he is sovereign. Last week, Pastor Caldwell spoke about trusting God's character. And sometimes we need to leap before we look because even though we can't see him all the time, he can see us all the time. And our leap is part of passing that test of trust. Well, this week, it's no different. It's just as important as the previous two. It's within the same vein of awesomeness. This week, what we're going to be talking about is so important. It has the potential to change your life. It has the potential to change your outlook it has the potential to change what you to change how you believe. It has the potential to change how you view God. It's so critical because believe it or not, the way you view God determines how much you trust God. I read this quote the other day and it says this, God doesn't want you to try harder. He wants you to trust him deeper. And it's what this whole series is about, trust. So today, what we're going to be talking about is trusting God's reputation. Trusting God's reputation. 
And reputation is a funny thing because depending on how you view it, it can obviously be good or bad. Let me just give you a couple examples of what I mean by that. A good name, somebody that has a good name, a good reputation, and that name is attached to a business that is just starting up. That name could take that business farther, further, faster because of the name that is attached to it. And in the same way, a bad name, a bad reputation can sink an upstart business, can collapse it way before its Twitter account or Facebook page even goes live, all because of the name. For example, the DeLorean. How many of you know what, I, what I'm talking about when I mean the DeLorean? A lot of us know that as the back to the future car. Now, to me, this is the coolest car of all time. It is. If I had an opportunity to choose between a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, a Porsche, a Range Rover, none of those are cars that I would pick. I would choose the DeLorean, and I would do it every single time. The DeLorean was made by the DeLorean Motor Company that was found by John DeLorean. He was a great innovator, a great inventor, a great engineer. But unfortunately, he got caught up in some things that he should not have been caught up in. And because of that, he gained a bad reputation and his entire company went belly up, which is why the DeLorean car is so hard to find nowadays. If you happen to see one, let me know. I'll buy it. Don't tell my wife. Reputation is a crazy thing. Reputation, when we really think about it, I mean, think about this for a second. Certain people won't allow other people to be in their circle, not because they don't want to bring their reputation up, but because they don't want to bring theirs down by association. We avoid certain people based off of their reputation. And if we're being really honest with ourselves right now, I mean, let's just be real, right? Every family member has at least one or two. Mine, I have four. We avoid certain family members because of their reputation. And we run to the ones that we know that we can depend on because of their track record, their reputation. We pick our political parties because of reputation or we change because of it. We trust others immensely because of their reputation, or we keep our guards up because of their reputation. I mean, if we really, really put our minds to it, the products that we buy, the schools that we want our kids to be enrolled in, the colleges that we want them to pick, the restaurants that we recommend to other people, the neighborhoods that we want our houses to be in, Those are all based off reputation. They are. And one last kicker to really just drive this point home is that good or bad, good or bad, it's one of the only things that has the potential to reach your destination before you do. It's true. It's one of the only things that has the potential to reach your destination before you do. 
back when I first started in the fire department, with only being there maybe a few months, I quickly gained the name Hacksaw. Now, the name Hacksaw is not like Home Depot Hacksaw. It's more like the movie Hacksaw Ridge that was directed by Clint Eastwood. And the character, the main character in this movie was a person who was so devoted to God, so devoted to God, that his weapon of choice was bandages over bullets. And throughout the whole entire movie, he carried with him his Bible. Now, as you can imagine, me being at work as a fireman who had just started, that's exactly what I did. I carried my Bible with me everywhere. And hence, they saw that, and the nickname Hacksaw emerged. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, the name actually is pretty awesome. But unfortunately, that name came with a stigma attached to it. They thought, through no fault of my own, because I didn't say anything, I never portrayed this. I never mentioned this. These words never came out of my mouth, but they thought that I was out to convert the entire department and that my only reason for being there was to engage in political debates and to, dis and to disprove every single person's belief and to offend them in arguments all because of that. And that simply wasn't true. So one day I get moved to a firehouse that I had never been to with firemen that I had never worked with. And as the saying goes, your reputation precedes you. You can kind of imagine what happened. They avoided me. They didn't say hi to me. They took other routes to purposefully not run into me. And it was hurtful. Well, it all came to a head when we had dinner. They were talking about various topics. They were talking about sports. They were talking about the news. They were talking about politics. They were talking about so many other things. And I decided to engage. And I started commenting on sports, on news, on politics. And before you know it, the walls came crumbling down and we're laughing and we're joking and everybody's having a great time. And after dinner, as the dishes were being washed, one of the guys comes up to me and he starts apologizing to me. And I know why he was apologizing, but I just stood there listening to him because I didn't want to interrupt him. And this is what he said to me. He said, Eddie, you know, we're really sorry, man. We're, we're really, really sorry because what we heard didn't match up with who we met. What we heard didn't match up with who we met. You see... They had heard a lot about me, but they never really knew me. They heard a lot about me, but they never really knew me. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever gone to a certain place where your reputation got there before you did and people thought one thing about you and then when they met you, the two things didn't line up? Or here's an even better question. Here's an even more deeper question for you. Have you ever done that? to someone else. Have you? The problem that is created when we do something like that is that we jump to conclusions about the person without ever really meeting them. And whether it's good or bad, it kind of really doesn't matter because the framework that we have already developed in our mind has already taken place. And until proven otherwise, that's what it is. If it's good and they turn out to be a little bit less than that, we hold it against them. 
If it's bad and it's worse, they don't stand a chance at getting close to us. And if it's the opposite of what we hear, it becomes hard for us to trust them because we think they're not genuine. We think they're faking it. We think there's a hidden agenda for some odd reason. Jumping to conclusions based off what we hear in regards to someone causes a whole bunch of problems. And the same thing that we do with others, we tend to do with God. We tend to jump to conclusions based off of the things that we hear rather than really getting to know who he really is. A lot of times what we will do is that we will let what other people say build up God's reputation for us. We'll let what they say build up God's reputation for us. It's based off of hearsay, off of things that we have heard. And sometimes those, the things that we hear can get really, really crazy and not seem like they line up with who we think God might be. For example, it turns into a really, really bad game of telephone. I heard from my sister's mother's uncle's grandfather who has a roommate that works at Target that when they prayed, Money fell from the sky. Diamonds exploded out of their pool. God told them specifically that he wanted them to buy a $65 million jet, have a mansion, and eight cars. Or maybe we've heard something different than that. Maybe we've heard things like, hey, God doesn't really care about you. God is really not involved in your life. Hey, have you heard? My brother prayed and God didn't say anything to him. He's definitely silent and distant and doesn't care. He's definitely that kid with a magnifying glass standing over an anthill laughing at us. Maybe you heard that he's not all powerful, that he's not sovereign. Maybe you've heard about Jesus and maybe you heard that Jesus was a really cool guy. He was awesome. He did a couple of magic tricks, but he really wasn't the son of God. We can quickly jump to conclusions based off what we hear rather than really getting to know him. And if we do that, it can be very difficult to determine what God's reputation really is because it keeps changing based off what we hear. And even more so, and here's a really big kicker for anything, and even more so, it could be harder to trust because then the question arises, who is he really? Can I trust in the $65 million plane or can I trust in the God that doesn't really care at all? A lot of times, we let what others say about God build up God's reputation for us. It's built off of hearsay. And just like what we have done with others sometimes, we will jump to conclusions about God without ever really knowing him. And that's dangerous territory to be in. Very dangerous. So how are we able to move past that 
How can we move past the hearsay and into who he really is? How can we not jump to conclusions and know what his reputation really is so that way the trust that we want to give, the trust that we want to have can be placed in that and not what we hear? Well, for starters, just like my friends at the fire department had to get to know me by engaging with me, we have to get to know God by engaging with him. And there's kind of only really one way to do that. John chapter 1, verse 1. If you have your Bibles at home, you can open them up and turn to it. I'm sorry, it's force of habit. I'm, I apologize, I'm sorry. John chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Knowing God starts with knowing His Word, because God is is his word. He is. It says it right there. Knowing God starts with knowing his word because God is his word. It was there with him at the start. It was him and he was it. There's no separating the two. If you try to know God, if you're trying to know God apart from his word, it will be a catastrophic failure. It can't happen. It will be a failed mission because you can't separate the two. To know God is to know his word because God is his word. And his word says so many great things about him. His word is enduring through all time. It has no end. It is consistently present just as he is. And I can go on and on and on till the break of dawn. About the so many wonderful, marvelous things that the word says about God, about his reputation. But I just want to touch on one thing. I, don't, I kind of really only want to highlight one thing because if this one thing gets highlighted, it will kind of open up everything else in terms of God's reputation. Hands down, I guarantee it. And if you would follow me along the journey really fast to what that one thing is, if you pay attention to what that is, I guarantee you your perspective, your trust in God, in his reputation will be transformed and changed and brought to the next level and brought to a deeper level with him. It starts here. In the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, we read two characters, well, specifically the two characters that I want to talk about. One of them is named Balaam, a person who knew God, who was chosen by God, and the other character is named Balak. Now, Balak was a man who owned land or who was kind of sort of this really cool ruler, so to speak, but he had a problem. And the problem that he faced was this, the Israelite army, God's people, were conquering and having victories in many, many wars. They were taking over lands because God said they would, right? And guess whose land was up next on the chopping block? It was Balak. It was his land. And he didn't want that to happen. So he devised this plan. He wanted to hatch this, this thing that, that if he hired all of these soothsayers and prophets to pronounce a curse on Israel, then his land wouldn't be taken over. 
right? And when he was hiring these soothsayers and these prophets, one of these prophets just so happened to be Balaam. So Balaam and all these soothsayers, they meet with Balak. Balak tells them what the plan is. I want every single person here, every single prophet, every single soothsayer that I have paid money to, I want you guys to pronounce a curse on Israel so that way they do not invade my land. So that way they go in the other direction or they just wither away and die. But Balaam belongs to God. And very shortly after this plan is told to them, Balaam has an encounter with God. And God tells Balaam, hey, Balaam, just so you know, those are my people. Do not pronounce a curse on them because I have blessed them. So Balaam goes back to Balak and he's like, hey, Balak, um, just so you know, God spoke to me. I can't curse these guys. God has blessed them. I can't do it. And Balak gets furious and he's like, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. Okay, no. Pronounce the curse. Just, just curse them. If you do that, I'll give you money. I'll give you wealth. I won't deny you anything. All you have to do is just curse them and I will withhold nothing from you. I will give you the world if you just do it. And Balaam leaves. But then God encounters Balaam again. And he says, hey, Balaam, I'm going to give you some specific words to say to Balak. And what I want you to say to him, don't say anything else other than what I'm telling you to speak to him because he needs to know this. So Balaam marches back to Balak and they have this encounter. And everything that Balaam says is directly from the mouth of God. And that's where we pick up what we're going to talk about. In Numbers Chapter 23, verse 19, this is Balaam speaking to Balak on behalf of God. Balaam says this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. In other words, what he is saying to Balak is this, no matter what you say, no matter what you attempt, no matter how you try to sway me, I'm not going back on my word. I'm not going back on my word because I am my word. And because my word can't change and I can't change and my word can't change because I'm unchanging, I'm not going to change it. It's not going to change. No matter what you say or do or try to, or try to make happen, I'm not going back on my word because I'm not going back on me. I am not a liar. I am not a person who changes their mind. That is not who I am. And then Balaam pushes this point further. He pushes it further into Balak. He says this to him. Does he, God, does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? What God is saying to Balak and to all of us right now at this very moment, he is saying that whatever he says, whatever he speaks, whatever leaves the lips of God, whatever leaves the lips of God, that is what is going to happen. God is not going to proclaim something and then take it back. God is not going to promise something and then not bring it to fruition. That is not who God is. And then the last thing he tells Balak is this, just to really stomp it into him. I have received a command to bless. He, God, has blessed. Who's he talking about? Israel, his people. He has blessed 
and I cannot change it. And this is not Balaam saying, if God gave me some leeway, I would change it, you know, because that's just, you know, how it works between me and him. No, the reason why Balaam can't change it is because God can't change. It's solid. God is bound by his word because he is his word. And the one thing that I definitely wanted to highlight, the one thing that I was telling you guys about that I think would unlock everything about what we need to know about God's reputation is this. God's word is his reputation because God is his word. God's word is his reputation because God is his word. You can trust God's reputation because he is always going to do what he says he is going to do. And there's no changing it. It's not going to change. He is the very model of consistency. He told Abraham that his descendants would be more than the grains of the sand on the seashore. And he did it. He told Moses that he was going to free his people from the slavery of Egypt. And he did it. He told his people that if they worshiped other gods, he would strike them down, but not destroy every one of them. And he did it. He is the very model of consistency. He brought them back from exile because he said that's what he was going to do. He's done the impossible throughout the ages. He gave victory to 300 of his people against thousands because he said he was going to do it. He has demolished kingdoms, planted kings. He has driven out nations, all because he said that that was what he was going to do. God's word is his reputation because God is his word. I love how in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 37, to just really drive this point a little bit further, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 37, there's this Assyrian king. And this Assyrian king, for some odd reason, I don't know why he thinks he would do this, but he tries to take credit for something that God said would happen a long time ago, which was the demolishing of many cities. This Assyrian king, for some odd reason, thought that the victory that was given to him, the demolishing of these cities, the fact that he was able to go out and conquer, he thinks that it was all him that did it. And what I love is that God engages him and tells him something that, if anything, when you really read it, it's one of the most humbling things that you could possibly ever read. And not to mention, probably one of the coolest. God says this to the Assyrian king. Excuse me. Isaiah chapter 37, verse 26. He says this to him. Have you not heard almost as if to say, do you not really know? Like, honestly, do, do, you, do you not know? Have you not heard? Long ago, I ordained it. In days of old, I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. What God is saying to this Assyrian king, what he's basically saying in a nutshell is this. You had nothing to do with this. You had nothing to do with it. 
I spoke this into existence a very, very, very long time ago. It has happened because I have said it. Because I have said it. I am bound by my word because I am my word. And time and time again, all throughout scripture, you see God doing exactly the things that he said that he would do. He is a man of his word, literally. Literally, he is a man of his word. He is consistent, infallible, and never changing. God's reputation is his word because God is. And when we come across a truth like this, when we come across a truth like this, that God's word is his reputation, there is always something, there is a response that is required by those who believe in him. There is. God doesn't just give us really cool nuggets of wisdom, really cool nuggets of, of awesomeness and not have us do anything with them. That's almost like you go to an ice cream shop and you get the cone with no ice cream. Something has to happen. Something has to happen. And as believers, we are called to do something because of this. Not just the trusting aspect. It's more than that. If you are a Christ follower in the littlest, slightest bit, this applies to you. We have to live outwardly what we know and believe about him inwardly. We have to live outwardly what we know and believe about him inwardly. The word says that we are Christ's ambassadors, that we are his representatives. What does your life say about God's reputation? Think about it. What does your life say about God's reputation? I read this quote from Andy Stanley a few months ago because I'm a nerd and I read a whole bunch of books. Um, and it says this. If someone spent a week carefully watching your lifestyle, what you laughed at, where you go, what you allow in your mind, what conclusions would that person draw about your God? How would the picture developed compare to the picture of God we find in Scripture? Would there be many similarities? Or would there be such a huge discrepancy that they would get a totally wrong idea about the God of Christianity? In other words, how do you represent God's reputation? How do you represent it? Because it may mean more than you think. I'm pretty sure a whole bunch of people are about to relate to what I'm going to talk about right now. When Jen and I, my wife, Jen and I, when we first got together, we weren't married yet, we were just dating. Uh, she had Sprint and I had Sprint. And after we got married, we dropped Sprint. And the reason why we dropped them was not because of the company, the name Sprint. It's because, because Sprint in general, they had good prices, they had good plans, everything was awesome. We left Sprint when we first got married because the customer service was horrible. 
Every time we called, they had no idea what was going on. Every time we called, the person that we spoke to was rude and obnoxious. Every time we called, the person that, that we would speak to had no idea what was going on with anything. He didn't recognize the charges. He didn't know where it came from. Everything was bad. We left Sprint not because of Sprint. We left Sprint because of their customer service representatives. That's why we left. A few months later, Sprint calls us back. Big Brother always has your number. Sprint called us back. They wanted us to come back to them. And you know what their first pitch to us was? Hey, just so you know, we revamped our whole entire customer service experience. It's changed. It's different now. And the person that was talking to us knew all the problems we had about our account, about our account in the previous years. She knew how to fix it. She knew how to correct it. She was very nice and cordial. She spoke very softly. She was nice. She was awesome. And because of her is the reason why we went back. It's the reason why we went back. So I have to ask you the question again. How do you represent God's reputation? To hit the cliche really fast, just to hit it, you may be the only Bible that people ever get the chance to read. It's true. You may be the only Bible that people get the chance to read. And the only idea that they will get about God is from you. It's from you. The only idea they will ever get about God is from you. Will the picture that they draw be of an all-loving, all-forgiving, compassionate, restorative, redeeming, consistent, understanding God? Or will it be of a cold-hearted, unforgiving, unauthoritative, quick-tempered, not caring about you, God? Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, he says that they will know you are my disciples by the way that you treat others. They will know that you know me by the way that you love others. Jesus says that very specifically. And when you don't forgive the way that Jesus has forgiven you, when you don't extend grace the way that it has been extended to you, when you don't build up or encourage the way that Jesus does in his word because that's who he is, and when you don't exercise your faith in the middle of your circumstances, and when you don't love others the way that Jesus has called you to love others, this is what you're saying. You're saying, Jesus, God, I don't trust you in all of those areas. And what you are showing others is that they shouldn't either. We have to live outwardly what we believe inwardly about him. That God's word is his reputation. He will always do exactly what he says he is going to do. And because of that, we can trust him. In John chapter 1, verse 14. In John chapter 1. Verse 14, it says this. 
The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. For three whole years of ministry, the people of God saw Jesus in the flesh. In essence, they saw God in the flesh. They were able to touch his word. They were able to speak to his word. They were able to eat and drink with his word. It was, they were able to see the word in action and it was awesome. It was amazing. It was fantastic. Seeing Jesus walk around doing the things that he did, doing the very will of the father, doing the very words of God in the flesh was an awesome and an amazing sight. They had the opportunity to see God's word in the flesh, to see God, to see him. And when we read the life of Jesus, when we read those particular words, when we see what Jesus did, we are able to see the example that we are supposed to follow. We are able to see what the reputation is all about, who he really is. We don't have to jump to conclusions. It's not hearsay anymore. All we have to do is pick this up, go to the New Testament, go to the Gospels, and we can see who Christ, who God really is and how he lived out his word in the flesh. And because God loves us, and because God loves us, 700 years, 700 years before Jesus arrived on the scene, in the book of Isaiah, God said this. He said that he would be pierced for our transgressions. He said that he would be crushed for our iniquities. He said that the punishment that brought us peace would be upon him. He said that he would be oppressed and afflicted. He said that he would be caused to suffer for every single one of our sins. He said that he was doing that to bring restoration, to bring forgiveness, to open a path up so that we would be able to have a relationship with him. He said that so that way we could have the ultimate expression of his love. He would then be crucified because he said he would. He would then be buried because he said he would. And then he would rise three days later. And guess what? Guess what? Because he said it 700 years ago, before Jesus arrived on the scene, because he said it, he did it. He did it. If you're going to trust in anything, you can trust in God's reputation because he is always going to do what he says he is going to do. I pray that this song blesses your heart. I pray that this song reaches down into the depths of your soul and plants its roots there so that way it can grow and flourish and into an amazing trust that you could put in God's reputation.
After the song is over, I'm going to come back, say a few more words, and we'll close.